This episode is brought to you by our desperate desire to tame our mangly hair. Welcome back, everyone, to My Fave Queer Chemist. I'm your host, Becca. And I'm Geraldo. And we're really excited to share this week's episode with y'all because it's an MFQC first. We had the pleasure of interviewing our first postdoc, which shed some light on issues and challenges for LGBTQ plus postdocs. There's lots to learn from this episode. So with that, here's our show. Welcome back, everybody, to my fave career chemist. I'm Geraldo. And I'm Becca. And today we are eager to talk with an amazing chemist. Would you mind introducing yourself? Hi, everyone. And uh, my name is uh, Lorenzo Mosca. I am a postdoc uh, in the uh, Stoddard Group at Northwestern University, and I respond to the he, him pronouns. I'm very happy to be here. I had quite a long journey coming here because I was born and raised in Italy, in the north near to Milan, which is the hot topic right now, apparently, Mm -hmm. considering the COVID-19 situation. And I got my PhD at the University of Pavia, where I was working on receptors for metal ions and anions. So I did some analytical chemistry there and some supramolecular chemistry, as we tend to define almost everything in chemistry right now. (laughs) And then, so I got my PhD in 2010. And then I moved to Ohio, Bowling Green, uh, which is not that far from an arbor. It's less than one hour driving distance. Mm-hmm. And there I work with uh, uh, Professor Pavel Anzenbacher, and I did sensors, uh, fluorescent and colorimetric for anions, mm-hmm. explosive molecules, and some other things, but mainly working on uh, cross-reactive sensor array strategies. And then in 2016, I moved to Northwestern University to work with Fraser Stoddard and Molecular Machines, which is uh, extremely exciting. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Great. That's quite a journey. Mm-hmm. It is. Very long one. On. <laughs> <laughs> so can you tell us about your experience as an LGBTQ plus graduate student at the University of Pavia? My personal experience was sort of hindered by the uh, the situation of LGBT community in Italy. And that's mainly because we are still far behind many other countries. For example, the legalization of same-sex marriages mm-hmm. or uh, rights for trans people as well. And there is a lot of like very sort of low-lying discrimination that you can see in workplaces and you can see uh, in society. And it's one of the reasons that people say is uh, the cause of that is because we are an extremely Catholic country. And mm-hmm. I said, there are many other Catholic countries around the world that don't have the same problem, right? Yeah. So don't blame it all on the Pope for once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, in terms of the institutions and organizations that are on the in the University of Pavia, there were none that were dedicated to LGBT communities. And so there are local communities uh, that are organized into a larger uh, national group of LGBT awareness and rights, et cetera, et cetera. But there is none at local levels in university, at least until I was there, which was mm-hmm. 2010. Uh, so in some ways, I was always struggling. I, uh, knew somehow that I couldn't, for example, base myself on having support from this group from the inside of the university. And so uh, my coming out process with my colleagues, my friend and my fellow students was always sort of like 
uh, I have to think twice before I do this uh, mm-hmm. step, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And were there were there other LGBTQ graduate students there that you like found support and community with, or did you kind of feel like you were going at it by yourself? So in terms of like. Um, at the level of undergraduate, um, yes, because clearly the numbers are a lot larger. Uh, mm-hmm. As uh, you go through your master's degree and then PhD, uh, the number shrinks down. And basically, my years, we were only eight graduate students. Uh, mm-hmm. And so over a total of three years, which is the length of an average PhD in Italy, we were no more than 20 people. And so oh, wow. by the, the law of numbers, basically, I was <laughs> the only out person yeah. in the whole department. Wow. Uh, which was strange. Yeah, wow. I definitely. Tough. Yeah, I it, commend you for. It is tougher. It. Yeah, that's, definitely. That's um, hard. You always have a lot of support from uh, from your friends, whether they are from you know uh, from your LGBT more oriented group, or you have mm-hmm. you know your high school friends, etc., uh, and your family as well. I think in in this way there is a difference between, for example. North America and, mm-hmm. and Italy is the, the structure of the family and the inner circle of friends is very good at supporting you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's good. Yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting to hear. I feel like we we don't talk to that many people who like went to graduate school or who were raised in different countries and different cultures. Mm-hmm. And so that's really interesting. I think we take for granted. Mm -hmm. sometimes like how good we have it despite like a lot of the challenges that we have in the United States in terms of like being LGBTQ and out and the rights that come with that but yeah I think I think we definitely take that a little bit for granted sometimes so switching gears just a little bit how was the process of applying for postdocs and deciding to come over here to the United States well it was sort of like a strange decision from my point of view uh, because I knew I wouldn't have money to continue my research there in Italy and at the same time it was a really bad year for research in Italy where they started cutting funding a lot so there was no funding for basic research etc no funding even for applied research at some point so I started looking out for Europe first because that's the place I know more because I traveled Mm -hmm. a lot and in general it was more similar to my uh, cultural background Uh, but the timing was not good because in Europe most uh, postdoc applications start in the summer and uh, usually they get filled before the end of the year Uh, while I graduated and then uh, did some job in in between still in the lab but I started looking out for a postdoc around November and so then the other option for me was uh, just going out to the rest of the world and so I received a couple of offers from North America and a couple of offers even from New Zealand and I said well I don't know if I'm ready to go to the other side of the (laughs) world Uh, so let's stick with the closest other option and then I came to uh, to Bowling Green State University. The PI there, Pavilion Sembacher, is sort of like in, was in my same field. So we, we met before at conferences for, for a couple of times. And so it, for me and for him, it wasn't a complete new person uh, mm-hmm. in, in, in general. So yeah. Uh, how, is, how is like the cultural differences, like moving from Italy to Ohio, Bowling oh, Green? The, the, cultural shock was extreme because yeah. Yeah. I moved I moved to the United States it was I think the 16th or 17th of December so plain cold mid-best cold yeah <laughs> um, I, I was prepared so uh, 
this, this wasn't a, a complete surprise, but so I entered the country uh, in Chicago and then I took uh, the smallest plane that I've ever flown on from Chicago to Toledo Airport. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know if you've ever passed by, but it's basically just a runway. Uh, there is one <laughs> carousel for, or I think two carousels for luggage. And then mm-hmm. you're out and you have a parking lot and corn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was there in the middle of the night because I arrived at 11 p.m. And somebody was picking me up from the group. Mm-hmm. And I was there and I said, I don't know where I am. <laughs> I was expecting <laughs> something else. <laughs> and I just went straight to the hotel room that I had before I, I actually got an apartment. And I mm-hmm. said, okay, we need to plan what we have to do. And the good thing is that Bowling Green is such a small city that you can just walk around all the time. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it was weird, definitely. Yeah. And the cultural shock was large. But then the chemistry department, on the other hand, was uh, almost complete majority uh, international. Okay. Um, so I would say there is probably even right now the fraction of American or North American people there, including students, is about 15 to 20 percent and the rest are international people okay. oh, wow. so it was um it was good and uh, at the same time exciting to be in such a small place uh in the country but with so much diversity in terms of like mm-hmm. different cultures and nationalities right, right. yeah so then how was that move from ohio then to chicago can you tell us a little bit about that were there like distinct differences between the departments and the programs Oh, yeah, absolutely. So Bowling Green has a very small and very focused uh, chemistry department. Um, and they have this really strong photochemistry and photophysics focus. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was there doing this. And at the same time, I was looking for to move on onto a new postdoc because uh, clearly in terms of uh, career development and what I want to do, which is going to academia, being in such a small university, it's not optimal. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it doesn't have the recognition that it deserves. Um, and so I decided to move into a more intensely researched university. Mm-hmm. And I started applying around, I think it was March. And by uh, the end of April, I had an offer letter from Thodar Group and I joined in, in July. Uh, so it was all quite fast in terms of like the steps that I had to take. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, again, it's it worked out uh, in the sense that Fraser is also considered a supramolecular chemistry and I come mm-hmm. from supramolecular chemistry, PhD and postdoc. And it's sort of like all of this uh, uh, creating network between professor and students and meeting them at conference that gives you uh, perhaps uh, higher chance of succeeding in your postdoc application. Mm-hmm. So have you, did you feel like you found like a good supportive community both in Ohio and then also at Northwestern? So here's the other thing that I, I wanted to uh, stress out here and I, mm-hmm. I wrote to you, to you both in email is that as a postdoc, you don't have much chance uh, for many disparate reasons of mm-hmm. uh, building a community among alikes. And so usually uh, it's a lot more difficult to find uh, postdoc associations that um, are oriented towards an LGBT audience. And perhaps you can find a postdoc association that sort of like covers everything in an umbrella, but you don't have any focus-oriented group where you can develop yourself or find opportunities uh, for yourself to, to grow as an LGBT person in mm-hmm. academia. 
-hmm. in this case. And that's what I think lacks everywhere. And we, uh, as postdoc, we lag behind, for example, graduate students associations. And Northwestern, for example, has three different undergrad, graduate, and uh, more specialized LGBTQ communities that sort of serves with several organizations. So, but there is none specific for postdocs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think there are several reasons and, and why this is not taking you know, the necessary steps for going forward. And one of them is um, the fact that the postdoc usually has a very limited time frame. Mm -hmm. And so you have postdocs coming into the lab or in any type of work that they're doing in, in the university. And they stay for usually two years and then they go and move forward with their career. So just in terms of time, the turnover is so fast that mm -hmm. it will be really hard to create a, an organization that you know can um, organize things and create a larger community from which to to take ideas and and a movement a momentum yeah definitely. yeah so going a little bit back to the time of applying for for postdoc positions did your lgbtq plus identities had any effect on that uh, not that i know of it was never out in the on my cv or on my resume but for example, when I moved to Bowling Green, uh, after a few months, I just came out to my advisor and looked, hey, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. And everything was fine. He was extremely supportive in that. Mm -hmm. um, and after, after you, you do that step of sort of getting, letting yourself out to the few people that are around you in the lab, I think then you start realizing how important it is and how important it is for mm -hmm. you to actually go to work with a smile instead of being worried. Oh yeah. Gosh, yeah. yeah we've, we've talked about that a little bit on this show and even just like me and Haralo and some of our other like LGBTQ friends, but just like being able to go to work and like mm -hmm. know that you can be your true self and you don't have to like yeah. hide anything. You don't have right. to like go back into the closet or anything that just like you can breathe easier. You can like be happier and then you can get, like better work done because mm -hmm. you yeah. actually enjoy being there. We've That's talked true. to a lot of people who felt like they had to like basically go back into the closet when they were in graduate school or postdoc or mm -hmm. things like that to, to be professional or to mm -hmm. stay professional. But I think hopefully that's changing from what mm -hmm. it sounds like. Definitely. But. Definitely. Yeah. So, and um, um, while at Northwestern, for example, I took a, another type of approach and so I started in the middle of a, of a conversation when you meet somebody new you just let know that you have a husband or a mm -hmm. boyfriend mm -hmm. at the time and then it became a husband yeah. and then it was actually quite funny because during I think it was uh, the second week of September 2018 I was supposed to give my group meeting in front of the group and two weeks before I got married uh, with my okay. husband John that's um, exciting. Yeah. <laughs> and so I just put a picture at the end of my presentation uh, from our wedding photos. Mm -hmm. uh, and I said, like, and, uh, have a good news. And uh, some people already knew, of course, that I was getting mm -hmm. married. Most of the group wasn't aware of that. So I just... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that's amazing. Yeah, that's, that's very brave to do that. But that's, those are things that mm -hmm. need to be celebrated. And those are the things yeah. that you tell the people that you work with and like the people that you spend all your days with so yeah, exactly and most of them were um, already met my my boyfriend at the time and, and mm -hmm. husband and in some you know group parties uh, or other you know intra-group events right uh, so 
they already knew that there was somebody in, in, in my life. So the response was positive then? The response was basically positive. I didn't, okay. um, good. I don't have any horror story. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. good. That's good. That. That's, that's what we hoped. We hope that there yeah. are no like mm-hmm. horrible, horrifying stories that people no, tell us. And I have to say like, uh, most of the time you're always worried that it's going to become one of these things of horror mm-hmm. story or complete rejection. Uh, but at least in my personal experience, that never happened. And most of the people I know, they didn't have any of these horror stories. Mm-hmm. But I understand that the, the situation is not the same for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So I know that, that you mentioned that there's no, that departments mostly don't have a structured way of supporting LGBTQ plus postdocs. Mm-hmm. But what about your experience with the other people in the department? Maybe not so structured, but more like personal or, you know, in other ways. So Northwestern, for example, has a very, very strong community of postdocs because, uh, and in particular, the chemistry department, I think like as of last year, we have like 200 postdocs and 180 graduate students. So it's large, massive department, Mm -hmm. but they have uh, graduate students and postdoc associations that uh, organize uh, regular events. The uh, environment at Northwestern is uh, very collegial between students and postdocs. So um, I never had any need to uh, look for support in the, in the last few years. Uh, and I know that I can find it if I ever need it uh, at Northwestern. That's great. Um, so, yeah. but uh, in terms of personal experience, I, I never looked out for it. In the, yeah. in the past few years so I, mm-hmm. I can really tell in that sense so we've talked a little bit about this um of there kind of like not being much structure in terms of organization and support for lgbtq postdocs how do you think that departments and institutions could be better about supporting postdocs in general specifically lgbtq postdocs even international students what do you what do you think about that so I think that there should be, at least in the case of universities that have a large group of postdocs, I don't think there should be a separate association or organization that takes care of LGBTQ uh, postdoc support. But it can be, for example, merged with uh, the graduate students, at least for the major events. And knowing that there is always, for example, a resource center that you can you know, go and talk with people that are there for that reason to offer you a support in the case of potential discrimination or even the common life problems that everybody has regularly. So I think that's uh, that's something that should be considered by universities in this case and extending this offer to the postdocs. You cannot, I think, create a separate organization mm-hmm. for postdocs because of the, pre, the problems that we discussed before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, turnover and limited time and the problem of building a community uh, in between but you can definitely build a community between postdocs and graduate students Um, and I think that will have a lot of impact on the graduate students as well because Mm -hmm. they can see the progression of their career in the postdocs Mm -hmm. right some of some of you guys for example could go to industry or academia and postdocs then will go to industry Mm -hmm. or academia and so you can see all the steps um, mm-hmm. that that should be made. Having somebody who knows what it means to be an LGBTQ person in the STEM field, which is mm-hmm. already kind of hard on one side, easier on the other side, because we are more open-minded in respect mm-hmm. to other communities, uh, I think yeah. is very important. I think like we see postdocs as like this wonderful 
like resource as at least like I do. I love the postdocs in my lab. They're brilliant. And I love being able to like go to them with like questions and things like that. Like they are, they're incredible teachers, I think, because they've been through all of this before. <laughs> but at least like at the University of Michigan, I don't know of any like LGBTQ postdocs that I'm close with or mm -hmm. like I don't know any off the top of my head anyway and so like one of the reasons why we started this podcast is like to increase visibility but to also like create more avenues for mentorship and mm -hmm. relationships with like across like whatever journey or whatever position you are at in chemistry and so yeah because I think like postdocs are so useful and they're really great resources but I think you're right I think it's it helps if you have that other thing of we both know what it's like right. to be LGBTQ and STEM. I'm just mm -hmm. a little bit farther along in my career than you are. And so here's how I can help you. Do you think that part of the reason why postdocs are not as involved in graduate students organizations is because there's like a line between, you know, grad students and postdocs? I can, I can say that I've seen that as a graduate student. I've seen this as a postdoc and mm -hmm. I try to remove that line. Mm -hmm. um, at least in my personal case, if, if I can, uh, the Stoddard group is atypical because we are extreme majority of postdoc. We have 30 postdoc and two graduate students. Oh wow! Oh, wow. <laughs> Currently, we hope we, we hope to increase the number of graduate students. <laughs> uh, we have a lot of uh, undergrad researchers, and mm -hmm. we have a lot of visiting uh, students for the summer or even half a year sometimes. Uh, so that helps in uh, making an environment a little bit on the younger side. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> because uh, it's very important, I think, like postdocs should recognize the, the opportunity that they have, not only being in a lab and doing research, but uh, also help improve themselves in teaching. If you want to go to academia, if you mm -hmm. want to go to uh, just a, a teaching, for example, or even if you're going to the industry, you will always have to mentor somebody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And here you have the unique opportunity of doing it with a safety net, which is your PI, mm -hmm. right? That can direct you, but nobody will save you if you are a professor at mm -hmm. some point, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think I, it's very important to, to remove this barrier, to remove mm -hmm. this line. There is nobody in the lab is, you know, completely learned. Mm -hmm. and everybody can learn. Uh, at the same pace and especially when you have somebody who is like a sponge of information and, mm -hmm. and knowledge like I want to do that I want to teach you everything I know yeah yeah no yeah definitely I, I feel like we need to look into ways of of making these grad students organizations a little bit more welcoming to postdocs because maybe they don't feel as comfortable mm -hmm. you know because I, I don't know if this can be related to but I don't, as a graduate student, I don't know how comfortable I would be joining an undergrad organization. You know? mm -hmm. And so yeah. I, think, I think it's a very similar situation for postdoc not, not feeling very, I don't know, like part of the group in a grad student organization. So, so I think we should work on ways to, like you said, remove that line, and make it more welcoming for whoever wants to join. Yeah, I think that there should be a mechanism in that sense that uh, that can be can be done and can be used because clearly, like the interests might be slightly different, but mm -hmm. in the end, both graduate students and postdoc are doing research. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So at that point, you can find a common field where you can play together, and if it's even organizing, you know, research seminars mm -hmm. and and other things uh, on on that line, for example, activities where you you know, come up with crazy uh, chemistry or 
uh, other sciences ideas and go ahead for that. And I think like in my case, my vision might be slightly different because I had these two long postdocs, which for one reason, I didn't want them to be that long. Um, now that I think about it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because um, usually when I, for example, when I came to Bowling Green, I worked in the lab like constantly and I was producing a lot of compounds and studying them a lot. And, um, I was coming up with papers and then the senior research professor in that group left and there was this vacuum of management that mm -hmm. I filled in because I was the next in line basically mm -hmm. and the same thing happened in the startup group and so I found myself in what am I doing here am I doing research but I'm also managing the lab which in Bowling Green was easier because we were 10 people in the lab but in in the startup group we are like almost 35 and with a lot larger level of expenditures at and, mm. and organization and safety to check and and so I sort of started to reformulate myself and I said like a postdoc can be just one or two years produce a lot of papers in the maximum number of high impact publication and go out for a career mm -hmm. or it could be I can leave a legacy mm -hmm. and I can leave a legacy in this in this group for example by streamlining operations and improving safety and making a more welcoming environment um, yeah so that's that's what I'm I'm trying to do. I'm sort of trying to reinvent this mm -hmm. uh, as I go. <laughs> yeah. So switching gears a little bit, if you could give any advice to your mm. younger self, what would it be? It can be chemistry related. It can be just life related. Anything. Okay. So the um, I've been thinking about it. <laughs> um, from uh, because I know you asked it from the previous episodes and <laughs> one which is more chemistry related is run more columns <laughs> you and Isaac both you and Isaac <laughs> no seriously because uh, you struggle and say oh this compound clearly needs a column mm -hmm. and I say, no I'm gonna try to make it again I'm gonna make more so I can recrystallize it and that recrystallization is never gonna work no <laughs> Yeah, sometimes just, you need to call them. Just run the column straight away. Don't even think about it. <laughs> um, so that's definitely the chemistry-related chemistry, chemistry related one. And the, the second one, uh, which is more life-related or more, let's say, LGBTQ-related, is try to be more involved with the community. Because mm -hmm. my first year when I moved to, to the United States were not as great in terms of involvement. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's probably something that I missed. And now that I have a lot more responsibilities in terms of family and in terms of like work, uh, it's not as easy to find mm -hmm. time to do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If I will ever manage to, to have a, a research group that will be like... <laughs> on everybody's <laughs> lab notebook or run more columns. Yeah, <laughs> that goes on the CV. <laughs> yeah. So last question, who's your chemistry role model and why? And uh, it could be more than one if you have more than one. So I have, I have a few. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, I think perhaps like the, the first, if I have to think about somebody, LGBTQ person and a chemist, uh, that I'm thinking about is Benny Chen from the College of New Jersey. And he's great in, I think, what he's doing. I think he has recently been promoted to the director of the department. 
So wow. uh, that's pretty good for him. And I think for everybody in there. But yeah, he, he has this uh, amazing philosophy, which is don't ask yourself what the community can give to you, but uh, ask yourself which kind of superpower you have that you can give to the community. And it's sort of like mm-hmm. he puts it on this like comics Avengers type um, <laughs> framework, yeah. which is really funny. And I think it's really instructive for people. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I also have to uh, to mention that I've recently seen a, a few of his seminars here at Northwestern because uh, one of the chemistry graduate student group, which is called NU Bond, which promotes diversity in, in chemistry, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, invited him for a series of lectures in, like two months ago or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's pretty good. And another person that I really hold up there like in terms of like role model is uh, David Smith from the UK Um, and learning his story of how he wanted to sort of shape his research on like a disease that unfortunately took his husband like a couple of years ago is really moving and it's really inspiring for me and and so I constantly follow him on Twitter and Mm -hmm. all his adventures with the kid Mm-hmm. Uh, and the food that I prepare and uh, is <laughs> really moving and uh, as well the science and it's not that distant from me in terms of research mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I can see myself uh, in the research that he does and I completely understand it and I have a third one uh, which is Jen Himstra oh, oh yes <laughs> she is so lovely uh, and she's great in everything she posts on Twitter. I never yeah. met her in person, unfortunately, but if I ever do, I, I would want to talk with her for like Yeah, she's amazing. She came to Michigan. Hours. She came to Michigan to give a, a seminar. I think it was last semester, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was amazing. Yeah, that was great. Speak. She yeah. is an amazing all-around person. I think. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. fantastic on everything she does. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so where can people find you on social media if they want to get in contact with you? Oh, okay. So I'm not very active on social media, but I have a Twitter account that sometimes I tweet and reblog uh, or retweet <laughs> stuff. Um, mostly I like things from other people, uh, but it's uh, at Lorenzo in the lab. Okay. Clever, clever. Clever, clever. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's it, basically. I don't, mm, definitely not active on Instagram, but I'll be happy to be followed by people and follow back people. So. Awesome. Well, I think that was all we had. Well, um, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. This was yeah, a wonderful interview. Yeah. Thank you. I really enjoyed that. Uh, it was really nice. And it's really nice to talk about postdocs. I think it's a really, really important topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're the yeah. first postdoc that we've talked to. And so mm-hmm. I think this was like critical in getting point of view and experiences of postdocs is important too. Yeah. 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 Well, let's keep in touch. Yes, yeah, definitely. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Thank of course. You. All right. Bye. 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 During this hectic time, we're doing our best to keep y'all engaged with the show and continue growing this project into something bigger. This week, we sent out our first newsletter for y'all, our listeners. This will serve as a way for y'all to stay up to date on episodes, new segments, and things you can do to stay involved. You'll find on our Twitter a Google form to sign up to be a part of the email list, or you can email us directly and we'll add you to the list. We look forward to hearing from y'all. Remember to fill out the nomination form on our Twitter if you're interested in being interviewed for the show. You can follow us at MFCCPod.
Take care, everybody, and stay safe. We'll see y'all next week. Bye. Adios. Bye.